Well, it was free choice for me this morning. I got to pick whatever it was I would like to speak about this morning. And so, of course, I picked my favourite topic from one of my favourite passages uh, that contains my two very favourite words in the Bible. So we'll get to that in a minute. I've titled this morning's message, Keep On Praying. And I'm going to deliver it in two parts. So you're going to get um, the standard part of the message where we delve into this morning's text and then the remainder of this morning I want to turn over to a testimony of sorts because I think prayer is one of those things that is best learned by experience and I think in a in a church family like this we all have something that we can share with one another about our experiences in prayer and use that to bless and and build up one another so I hope that by sharing with you today some things that are very dear to my heart, some of the things that I've been praying um, for this church over many years, um, you'll not only be encouraged to, to keep on praying, but you might also be encouraged to share some of your insights in prayer as we work our way through this little book together. Now, we all know that to keep on praying is sometimes something that's easier said than done, isn't it? To really pray through when at times it can seem like all hope is lost, when it seems like for years and years nothing much is happening, nothing's changing. To pray through the decades for perhaps a wayward child when all that you receive in return is, is continual rejection. To pray for a spouse in the midst of a crumbling relationship. To pray through cancer or dementia or some other long-term ailment. To pray for the salvation of your colleagues when their only interest in Jesus really seems to be as a swear word or as some kind of joke. To pray for revival in a community that only wants to ignore Christ. To pray for governments where corruption and immorality abound. And to pray for the church in the face of apathy in the wider community or, or sometimes in some places even outright persecution. None of these things are easy. And sometimes I think our prayers can seem like these, these dandelion seeds. You know, they float off somewhere attached to their little parachutes and they're never seen or heard of again. That's what it can feel like sometimes. They're just constantly floating away. And as I've prayed, prayed through the preparation of this morning's message, this image of the dandelion and its seeds just wouldn't go away. And I've come to appreciate that our prayers resemble the dandelion parachute perhaps much more than you might care to imagine. Now, strictly speaking, it's not called a parachute. It's called a pappus, but since I'm strictly speaking not a botanist anymore, nobody's going to laugh at me if we just stick with parachute. So this parachute, it's a carrier of life. It's a carrier of physical life in the form of that little black seed that hangs below it. And these little parachutes waft about on the wind, and they often travel incredible distances until just when the time is right, just before it's about to rain and the atmospheric humidity rises, all the little hairs 
on those parachutes. And if you have a look at them under a microscope, you would be amazed. These are one of the seven wonders of the natural world, according to me. They have little hairs on little hairs on little hairs. And when the atmospheric humidity rises, they all close up. And that plummets the seed down into the earth and it plants it at just the right time, just before it's about to rain. And the humble dandelion has travelled this way around much of the world. And it is arguably the world's most successful weed. And it owes most of that success to its humble little parachute. And our prayers are likewise not carriers of physical life, but they are carriers of, physical, of spiritual life, spiritual seeds. And they carry our meagre offerings of adoration, of confession, of thanksgiving, and all of our heartfelt longings to God. And by them, God empowers and he protects his people to enable them to take the gospel and to break into new territory. Just like that dandelion seed enables the dandelion to break into new territory, and it has done that all over the world, our prayers are the means by which the kingdom of God grows. And I can't think of a better reason to, to keep on praying. Now, I've discovered there are many more lessons than that to be learned from the humble dandelion, and I could ramble on about them all morning, but I'm going to spare you all, and instead, those that are interested can check out the prayer page in the February bulletin for some more botanical musings. Because God speaks to us in many ways. He speaks to us through nature, but of course... The primary means by which he speaks to us today is through his word. And over and above anything we can learn from nature or from the dandelion, there is one more, even more important reason why we should keep on praying. And that is, of course, because that's what Jesus told us to do. So when his disciples asked him to teach them about prayer, Jesus, of course, taught them that great prayer, which we've already sung this morning, the Lord's Prayer. But he didn't just leave it there. The Lord's Prayer was his model for prayer. But he didn't just give them a model. He gave them a story. Straight after the Lord's Prayer in your Bibles, you'll find a story which teaches us the need to persevere in prayer. So obviously this was something Jesus thought was very important. So if you'd like to turn to our scripture this morning, Luke chapter 11, verses 5 to 13. And in some of your Bibles, it'll be titled The Midnight Visitor. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and you say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up to give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. 
For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of your fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, I'm not sure about you, but I don't regularly get midnight visits from my next-door neighbours asking for bread in the middle of the night. If they did somehow end up with a late-night unexpected visitor, most of us have freezers and we have large pantries and they're stocked with all kinds of delights that we could haul out and concoct into something for an unexpected late-night visitor. Failing that, most of the supermarkets are open till midnight and I'm sure we could all rush down there and grab something out of the freezer. But if we were really, really desperate, I think most of us would make a trip to the local 7-Eleven before we'd go knocking on our next-door neighbour's door at midnight for some bread. So in the context of the society in which we live, this story is somewhat out of place and it's even humorous to some of us. But in the context of the time, it is a perfectly understandable and reasonable thing to do. Israel of course, can get hot. It can get unbearably hot in summer and large parts of the region are desert. Back then, travel was done mostly on foot, sometimes over quite, well, what we would consider today to be quite long distances. And so the traveller was out, exposed to the elements. And so it made sense for them to rest during the heat of the day and to tr do their travelling in the cool of the night. Since there were no phones and there was no internet, there was no means of calling ahead to announce your plans. So it's therefore not hard to imagine travellers arriving late at night without any warning at all. And so, as Jesus tells the story, a friend has arrived and the host finds himself in a terrible predicament no food to offer his guests. And this, believe me, is not a good predicament to be in in a culture that highly values hospitality. So the host goes to the home of another friend at midnight and he asks for three loaves to feed his visitor. Now, these are not large loaves. He's not a greedy host. Um, the word aptos refers usually to small buns or flat bread or what we might call bread rolls, not to great big loaves. But the friend responds that he is already in bed with his children and therefore can't get up to give the needy host anything. Now today, if someone told me that they were in bed with their children at midnight, I would assume either that they are slightly alternative people or that there was something wrong in their household. So the child is sick, the child's had a bad dream, the child's afraid of the dark, and therefore they're sleeping with all of their children in one bed. 
It's not usual in our house for parents to sleep with their children, except for very young children. But in first century homes, it was often a necessity. Generally, the homes had between one or four rooms. The bottom one there is a, is a cutout from a museum designed to show you what some of these houses might look like. So they had generally between one and, and four rooms. Probably the average was two. Um, and, and poorer families would generally only have one home. And given that this person had run out of food, they didn't have anything in storage, it probably was a poorer family. So likely to only have one room in the house and the entire family would probably sleep on a raised platform on a sleeping mat in some corner of that room. Either way, the friend makes it clear that he cannot get up to get the loaves without disturbing the entire family. But the man remains persistent. And in the end, the friend gets up and gets him what he needs, not, Jesus says, out of friendship, but because of the shameless audacity of the one who asks. And here we come to my absolute two favourite words in the Bible. Jesus calls us to be shamelessly audacious when we pray. And the word means, or the words mean, that we're to exhibit a brazen or undisguised willingness to take bold risks in prayer. That's what he says, shameless audacity. Yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. And it's right there immediately after the Lord's Prayer. And these two words have been an enormous challenge to my prayer life. Now, because a lot of us can't relate to this story, I was quite astounded when a, a, a modern-day alternative version just dropped into my lap a couple of weeks ago. So my husband returned home from tidying the church lawns here the Saturday before Christmas, somewhat later than I had expected. What should have been a very quick tidy up before Christmas, because he'd already mowed the lawns the week before, but because they were so thick, after doing them twice the week before, they still didn't look any good, so he thought he'd go down just before Christmas and, and clean them up a little bit. He came home and he explained to me what had happened, and as he finished explaining what had happened, he said, there you go, you can tuck that one away, some sermon fodder later on in the year and I said to him no way that's shameless audacity I'll be using that one very next time I speak so here's what I think is the perfect modern day version of this parable based on Bruce's experience mowing the church lawns had Jesus told it I think he would have worded it something like this suppose one day you are minding your own business down at the church mowing the lawns and a neighbour approaches you and says, friend, can you mow my lawn? I need to get it done before Christmas. I'm desperate. And my usual mowing man has gone away to Italy on holidays. And suppose you answer, sorry, mate, I don't mow lawns for a business. I'm just a volunteer here. I can't help you. I tell you, even though you won't do it out of friendship or even out of neighbourly obligation, Yet, because of his shameless audacity, you will surely go to his house and mow that man's lawns right after you finish with the church nature strips. 
And so I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of your fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children and to random neighbours of the church, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And now at this point I have to say that it was not the neighbour who lives next door with whom we share some lawn who might well have been justified to ask us to mow it because sometimes it does get a bit out of control. It was another random neighbour from somewhere else in the street who asked a complete stranger to mow his lawns and was, from what I understand, extremely persistent in doing so. There were all sorts of excuses and reasons given. And so, in the end, a complete stranger did mow his lawns gratis, without charge, Merry Christmas. And that's the kind of shameless audacity that I think Jesus was talking about. Bold and persistent requests. Now, while the NIV uses the word shameless audacity, the King James Version uses another word. It uses the word importunity, which means a plea that is so persistent or demanding that it becomes annoying. Our neighbour was apparently very persistent. Other versions use persistence or boldness or bold persistence. And all of these words challenge us to reassess what we think about prayer. Are your prayers shamelessly audacious or are they weak and timid? Do you take bold risks in prayer or do you limit God to within the realms of what you think is possible? Are you persistent in your prayers or are your prayers kind of haphazard? They happen when you remember. Jesus continues in verse 9, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. These are very well known, much loved, and oft quoted, but very much misunderstood words of Jesus. Jesus is not saying here that if you ask for something once, you'll get it straight away. If you seek, you'll find straight away. And if you knock, the door will open immediately. That's how these words come across in our English translations. But much of the meaning of these words is lost in English. In the Greek, these verbs are all second-person present imperatives, which means that they are to be carried out continuously. So a better English rendering might be, so I say to you, keep on asking and it will be given to you. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and it will be opened to you. The overriding message being that God wants us to persist in our prayers. Now Jesus doesn't just leave it there though with a command to be followed. He goes on to explain why we should persevere in prayer. 
the purpose of this parable is not that if you keep on nagging, eventually God will give in and give you whatever you want. Jesus argues from the lesser, using the example of the love and kindness shown by earthly fathers, to emphasise the greater, the goodness of our perfect Father God. If evil earthly fathers know how to give good gifts to their children, how much more will our Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And so because we know what God is like, we can be confident that he will give us what we need. And notice that Jesus used the word need in his story about the midnight visitor. And this should prompt our bold persistence in prayer. Jesus said, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. He doesn't say he'll get up and give you everything you want. Our Heavenly Father knows what we need. We need the Holy Spirit. And when we ask with shameless audacity, our lives and our churches will be empowered by his Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit will be evident among us. Now I'm going to turn over the rest of this morning's message to testimony because as I've said, I think testimony is important in churches. We should share our experiences. Christianity is not a private thing. It's something to be shared. And so I want to tell you my story of what happened when I took God at his word and I kept on asking, kept on seeking and kept on knocking. So for the past 15 years or thereabouts, I have tried to pray with shameless audacity for this church. Now I have to confess that perhaps this was not so much because I was a particularly godly person but maybe more so because I was scared. Because simply looking around, the future was was not hard to predict. We were in decline. Most of our young families had left. It seemed impossible that we, in what we now call first service, would be able to reverse our current trajectory. The future did not look good. And this is what drove me uh, to prayer. Now, back then, it was difficult to know even what to pray. So I began by simply admitting this to God and asking him to show me how to pray for his church. I searched the scriptures, I read many books, and I agonised with God. There were more than a few all-nighters spent in prayer, and there were other times when very short periods of prayer would leave me physically exhausted, as though I'd run a 10-kilometre track. And that physical aspect of prayer was something that was very surprising and unexpected to me. So this part of this morning will be the most difficult for me because it is the most personal and the most risky. There is a big part of me this morning that would like to keep all of this to myself because it has been between me and God for so many years and has been special to me. But I also know that now is the time to share. So our little book is titled Five Things to Pray for Your Church. And over time, five scriptures, five promises from God settled out for me as I was going through this process. And I've been praying these same five scriptures, just five, 
for the last 15 years. Many of you will be aware that um, I have a place where I like to go to pray at, just outside of Eltham in the bushland, in a hill, on a hill. Um, and it's there that I have these scriptures on this tiny piece of paper with my tiny little writing on it, some on the front and some on the back. And I retrieved this yesterday when I went there to pray so that you could see it because it remains buried in a log which is, is there in, in that place. And I call that log my altar. And the only thing that sits on that, that goes on that altar is me. And it's there that I sit and pray and offer myself to God for the, the following week. And over time, I've been blessed to see these five promises played out in the life of this church. But what I did not expect was the way that God would take those five promises and answer them twice in parallel, once in my own life and once in the life of the church. I thought I was praying for the church, but I guess, of course, I am part of the church, and so I think it's impossible to pray for the church without also praying for yourself. So in preparing for this morning... I laid out each of these five scriptures in the order that I have been praying them over all that time and I was blown away to discover that the first three of those scriptures are about asking, seeking and knocking and the last two are about the results of persistent asking, seeking and knocking. So what I'm going to do is step you through each of these five scriptures which I believe are given for this church. So the first of them is from Zechariah, Zechariah 8, 6. This is what the Lord of armies says. It may seem impossible to the few remaining people in those days, but will it seem impossible to me, declares the Lord of armies. And back when I first began praying this promise, it did seem impossible. Everything seemed impossible. It seemed impossible to turn around our numerical decline it seemed impossible that we would be able to attract and retain younger families. It seemed impossible that we could survive any more than about 20 years on our current trajectory. But a small group of people were willing to pray. And at the time, we thought it was shamelessly audacious to ask God for five new families. Now it seems quite pitiful, really. But we continued to pray, and five became 30, and 30 became 50, and God continued answering and we kept on asking and by his grace he built up what was then Bulleen Baptist before the option for sun, to merge with Sun Life was ever on the cards and so we were never in a situation where we needed to merge and that for us was a real blessing from God but will it seem impossible to me declares the Lord of Armies in my personal life, it seemed impossible that I could ever get to Bible college. It was my biggest and, in fact, my only regret in life. And I remember about a year or two after Pastor Bruce commenced his ministry here that he asked me if I had ever considered theological studies. And I told him that I had, that I thought about it a lot and that I would love to. And I then proceeded to give him a long list of why it was impossible in my current situation. Do you remember what your response was? He replied, well, if God wants you there and you're willing, he'll make a way. 
And of course, he turned out to be right. <laughs> At the same time, I felt that God was calling us to take in needy children through foster care and calling me to step up in my commitment here at the church in a voluntary capacity. How could I do either, let alone all three of these things? It may seem impossible to those few remaining people in those days, but will it be impossible to me, declares the Lord of Armies. And the answer, of course, in my life and in the life of this church is, of course, no. Nothing is impossible for God. The second promise comes from the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah 29, 13 to 14. When you look for me, you will find me. When you wholeheartedly seek me, I will let you find me, declares the Lord. And I love this image of the little child playing hide and seek. He thinks he's perfectly disguised there under the sheepskin rug. But uh, anyone in the game of looking is going to find him without too much trouble. And this reminds me of God. His intent is not to remain hidden. He intends to be found and he doesn't make it too difficult for us to find him. In fact, he says and he promises, when you look for me, you will find me. When you wholeheartedly seek me, I will let you find me, declares the Lord. So I prayed that promise for our church year after year and did my best to live it in my own life. I made a deal with God that since I couldn't study theology formally, then if he would show me what to study, I would do my best to study it wholeheartedly. And God did not disappoint. He did indeed let me find him and he gave me a great laugh when I got my first prescribed reading list from my first subject at Bible College and I found that two of the books I'd already read because they were on my bookshelf and I had studied them already. In the life of this church, have we, as we have sought God in prayer and as we've studied his word and sought his vision for our church, he has indeed let us find him. And I might add he will continue to do so when we continue to wholeheartedly seek him. The third promise is from Jeremiah 33, 3. Call to me and I will answer you. I will tell you great and mysterious things that you do not know. Great and mysterious things, insights into his word. Great and mysterious things that I did not know or could not have imagined really about our future here or about my own personal future. Five years ago, who among us could have imagined the scale of the building program that we now see ourselves in the middle of. Five years ago, we would have been struggling to imagine retiling the toilets and kitchens, let alone knocking them down with half of the building. Five years ago, who among you could have imagined this standing in front of you as one of your pastors? Certainly not me. Call to me and I will answer you. You just never know what sort of answer you might get. Calling or knocking is one thing. In my experience, resisting the temptation to turn and run once the answer comes or the door is opened, that is a truly difficult part of prayer. When the answer involves change and change is uncomfortable, when the answer involves risk and risk is 
risky. When shameless audacity elicits an answer beyond your wildest imaginings, that's when it takes all the faith you have to stand firm and avoid turning your back on answered prayer. Call to me and I will answer you. I will tell you great and mysterious things that you do not know. It's a promise that has taken on a whole new meaning to me now that I have pastoral responsibilities. And it's a promise that I cling to more than ever before. The fourth promise also comes from Jeremiah. It's a very simple one. Jeremiah 32, 41, the first part of that verse. I will enjoy blessing them. A simple promise, but one that brought a real revelation to me. God actually enjoys blessing us. And when we believe him for the impossible, when we wholeheartedly seek him, when we call to him with prayers that are shamelessly audacious, aligned with his will, prayers for his kingdom to come and his will to be done, when we pray like that, God enjoys blessing us. And my family and I have been the recipients of that blessing in this last year. Now, in preparing for this morning, I thought that it might be remiss of me to present this verse without knowing what the second half of the verse is because that's only half a verse, what we've got up there. But it is what I was, believe I was given from God 15 years ago and it's what I've been praying. And I haven't given a, se a second thought to the other part of the verse. Do any of you know what it says? I felt it would be remiss of me not to go back and at least have a look so I was aware of what the other half of the verse was and so I did. About a month ago, I did just that and it took my breath away. But Jeremiah 32:41 in its entirety says, I will enjoy blessing them. With all my heart and soul, I will faithfully plant them in this land. And that is what I believe God is doing for us right now as he replants us here in Lower Temple Stowe and prepares us for ministry here with facilities that will meet the ministry needs for the next 50 years. When our prayers align with his will, the Father enjoys pouring out his blessing on his children. The final promise that I believe God gave me for this church is one that will be familiar to most of you. It's very well known, found in the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, verse 31. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. It's a promise that those who wait upon the Lord will soar, not in their own strength or by their own doing. For them there will be no need for mad flapping, Rather, they will soar as the eagles do on a power that is not their own, on the thermals. And I can testify to this promise being fulfilled in my life many times over in the last 10 years as I have committed myself to serving here and at the same time working and raising a family. Many times I wondered how I would fit into my week all the things that I needed to fit in. And it was often on those weeks that I would wake up in the morning and see 
the prayer page or see a children's church lesson or see a devotional idea and once even an entire sermon laid out before me in my mind's eye and all I had to do was turn the pages like turning the pages of a book and write it down. Another time I can remember collapsing on my bed exhausted one day having spent much of the previous day late into the night and then all of that morning preparing for and running a big event for our playgroup families. And I remember Bruce had said he would take the kids out so that I could pack up here and then get home and unpack everything again. And he did, and he gave me the time he'd be home. And I packed up here and I got home and I put everything away. And I remember looking at my watch and I thought, oh, five minutes, they're all going to be home. And I recall lying on the bed and saying to God that I was just so tired that I couldn't even pray. And less than a minute after my head hit the pillow, I remember I was sleeping, trying to sleep with my arm like this, I felt a tingling in the top of my fingers and it ran through me like a straight line, like one of those kids etch-a-sketch things where you and you rub it out and it went through like this and goosebumps followed that line all the way down. I never did get to sleep that day. Five minutes later, the car pulled in the driveway. The kids were in the house. I didn't get sleep, but what I got was way better than sleep. It was complete physical refreshment from God like I've never experienced before, and it lasted about two days. <laughs> this last promise is one that I cling to all the more as God's plan for my life is worked out among you for I know this for sure in my own strength I have no hope and so it is my prayer that the future ministries of this church whatever they may be would likewise soar on a power that is not their own undergirded by the prayers of the people in this room that's the purpose of our prayer challenge here we're not praying for a new building that was just a convenient opportunity to, to start the challenge. What we're praying for is the people that will collectively make up this church and the ministries that they'll be involved in over the next 50 years. Ultimately, the power in those ministries, the people that will be one for Christ through them and the growth of his kingdom in this part of the world depends on our willingness to keep on praying. So that is my testimony of five promises prayed over 15 years and a good, good father who knows how to give good, good gifts to his children. And I trust it will be an encouragement to you as you pray. Now this is by no means the end of my story. I'll keep on asking and I'll keep on seeking and I'll keep on knocking because whilst the Lord's Prayer is our model for what to pray. Shameless audacity is our model for how to pray. So for me, I will continue to ask God for the impossible. I'll continue to wholeheartedly seek and ask God to let me find him. I will continue to call to him and ask him to reveal great and mysterious things to his people here at Pathway. And I will continue to pray that he will indeed enjoy blessing us and enable us to serve and minister here for many years to come in a power that is not our own. This is my prayer for this new year 
and indeed for every new year. And our scripture today is not the only time that Jesus encouraged us to pray with boldness and with persistence. Jesus spent his last night on earth with those same disciples in the upper room. And there he said to them, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. To bear much fruit, to show ourselves as his disciples and to bring the Father glory. That ultimately is the end goal of shameless audacity. Not that we get what we want, but that we get what God wants. To him be the glory. And they're going to lead us now in a prayer, a prayer in song. Let us all stand. Let all the world 
let the people say as they go out from us today and head off to places far away, Lord, we commit to keep on praying for them. Father God, we commit to keep on asking. We commit to keep on seeking. We commit to keep on knocking. We commit to doing it boldly, to being persistent in our prayers, to praying with shameless audacity as you have taught us. We will do it as if our future depends on it, because we know our future does depend on it. And we know, Lord, that for everyone who asks, they will receive. For the one who seeks will find, and the person who knocks, the door will be open. Lord, we pray that you would enjoy pouring your blessing out here in, in this place on Pathway Baptist Church, and Lord, that you would enjoy pouring out your blessing on that ministry in Niger. For Jesus' sake, amen. <laughs> 